Welcome, ladies and germs, and welcome to the That Lame Todd Podcast. This is episode one of the podcast, or of the series. I don't know what I want to do with it. Honestly, I think I might just ramble on until you can't hear me anymore, or I can I lose my voice. But honestly, this is the start of it. This is episode one. And if you listened to episode zero, hopefully you did not. And if you didn't, I'll give you a brief summary if I privatized it, which I probably will in the future. But this is a brief summary of episode zero. Episode zero, I talked about the 1981 play Dream Girls, which was during the 80s. And this episode, I will be specifically talking about the decade of the 1980s. Now, for me, it's kind of hard for me to talk about the experience of being in the 1980s because I wasn't even a concept, but I will be talking about the music because who doesn't love 80s music? Now, I'll give a little brief statement, not statement, but I'll give a little brief, fast 80s music facts. Who doesn't love factoids? Okay, so the first fact on this list of facts that I found. I don't know if it's true, but hey, whatever. We'll we'll, we'll have we'll have um we'll have some better facts or better knowledge towards the end by the time. So bear bear with us. Bear bear us. Bear with me. Bear with me. I can't talk. The 1980s had a share of innovative, electric, and sometimes amusing band names. Music artists found inspiration in everything from psychology to popular culture to current events. Tears for Fears got their inspiration for their name for primal screening therapy, a method of psychotherapy developed by Arthur Genove. The reason why I brought this factoid is because as a child, Everybody Wants to Rule the World by Tears for Fears was my first ever 80s song that I ever heard and that as a child changed the way I perceived music in general and it changed the way that I like thanked like I only listened to rap as a kid so I didn't think it was anything else other than that but I literally my brain turned into mush and I was like holy crap this stuff is great now Tears for Fears was the band during the 80s everybody everybody at least has heard shout everybody wants to rule the world head over hills so many songs by them that i i really i really enjoy but there's for fears was an overall astounding group and to just finish off a few 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 um few more list a few former humor ah i'm sorry guys bear with me i can't talk or can't speak my mouth is filled with marbles apparently let's do some more facts together or just me reading them to you just enjoy my my soothing voice the the cars the cars one of the most specific Successful new wave bands had two previous band names, Ozek and Orr, as a duo, then Cap and Swing, after they made it a band. 
they didn't do too well under either name. And after they renamed themselves the Cars, they started getting regular deals, won a record label, and the rest was history. If you haven't heard of the Cars, the Cars was like a, 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 a new wave band that was before the 80s. It was around like the, around like the 70s, but they used kind of the the synth, the synth and percussions of what the 80s sound would come out to be. And they were kind of like the trendsetters, which is why they were like one of the people, the first few people in a new wave. It was Cars, it was the Cars, Hall of Notes. Hall of Notes were um, a big, a big like fixture within the 80s, like 80s, like music timeline before like they kind of like just dropped off by the later, later in the 80s. But I'll get into Hall of Notes a little bit more. Let's do a little bit more facts. Huey Lewis in the news was considered to call themselves American Express, but the record label told them the name probably wouldn't be appreciated by the credit card company. So the band called themselves Huey Lewis toward in the news, a nod towards Lewis' passion for television news. Huey Lewis in the news is actually a way better band name than American Express. I honestly, I could not... Oh, what you listening to? Oh, this new American Express. It's such a good song. But Huey Lewis in the News is a great name. And I honestly feel like that was a that was a great 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 nod. Well a great thing for the record label to nip that because that was that would be bad. The B fifty twos are named after a slang term to describe the iconic B hairstyle that was popular during the nineteen sixties. The hairstyle was also named because of the resemblance of a B two bomber aircraft. Um, recognition to B fifty two for being one of the first like <laughs> songs that I mastered on Rock Band, Rock Lobster. Which was extremely, extremely fun. Oh, and then it was on Family Guy. It was like... (laughs) That is such a great song. I I feel as though that songs like that is okay to be silly. And it'll always be remembered for such an iconic sound. Which I really like. And I really enjoy songs like that. Oh, this is actually leading into our first topic, which is actually talking about MTV. But I'll swing back to MTV. I also want to talk about the uh, top 10, the top 10 charts of 1980 and 1989. The only reason why I didn't want to like do every single one is because I feel like that's a lot of music to, to think about each time. And I would like to see the progression of, I would like to see the starting and then the ending. So the Billboard's hot one top, the hot 100 charts from Billboard. This is straight from the source, not from like Wikipedia or anything, because they'll tell you anything else they they want you to hear. They'll probably say like Gondam style was like number one in 1980. <laughs> Go side, he was doing some crazy stuff in the 80s, man. Okay, so number one on the top 100 charts was. <laughs> was Lady by Kenny Rogers. Number two was Woman in Love by Barbara Streisand. 
Number three was The Wanderer by Donna Summer. Number four was another one by Suggest by Queen. Number five was I'm Coming Out by Diana Ross. Number six was Never Lou Love Like This Before by Stephanie Mills. Number seven was Master Blaster, Jammin', Stevie Wonder. Number eight is He's So Shy by the Pornist Point. Oh my gosh, that, that sound way worse than what I said. <laughs> the Porno Sisters. What? <laughs> He's So Shy by the Pointer Sisters. More Than I Can Say by Leo Sayer. And Just Like Starting Over by John Lennon. So as you can tell, I mean, a few of these from from what I'm looking at, Kenny Rogers is more of a, like, he has a, a amazing voice. Like, I'll put him up there as, like, one of the best, like, singers. Also with BG. Um, Barry Gibb, not BG, that's a, that's an entire band. My apologies. John, Barry, Barry Gibb. Barry Gibb is an amazing singer. And... I would also say Barbara Streisand. Barbara Streisand was is a good singer as well. Donna Summer. Now I wanted to talk about the seventies within itself, but this is eighties, so it does kind of fall within the topic range of what I can talk about. But I wanna say that Donna Summer is one of the most influential disco singers. Well, part of the disco era. If you want to think about disco music, you have to talk about Donna Summer. There's no way that you cannot talk about Donna Summer. You have I Feel Love. You have um, Love Me, Love Me, Baby. And those songs went out through through the disco circuit. And so many people remixed Donna Summer and turned their own things and turned into like house music which disco kind of adapted into, which I will be talking about on on later podcasts of house music. It's it's going to be a great story. I'm going to enjoy talking about house music. But Donna Summer was an, a, a, like a really big fixture within the disco community. And then, of course, another one by Sadust by Queen. Queen is one of the best, uh, actually, no, the best rock band of all time. And I'm going to leave a pause right here just for you to let you know that that's serious. Queen is the best rock band of all time. Name. I'm actually not going to say that because I feel like I'll be proved wrong in that situation. But Queen is one of the best, the best rock bands of all time. And if you if you say something else, I can simply cannot agree with you. Nirvana. Psh, no. Uh, Foo Fighters. Psh, no. What? Red Hot Chili Peppers? Throw it away. No. It's Queen. It's obvious Queen. Obviously Queen. People are like, this, that's, this is the band that people look up to. So, I mean, yeah. they. I feel as though that Queen, another one by said that would be a, a little bit higher than number four. But it's still great on the pop charts. You still get massive numbers. I'm coming up. I'm coming out by Diana, Diana Ross. I talked about Diana Ross on the uh, episode zero, so I think I'm going to leave episode zero up so people can actually listen to it and explain who I was talking about. Diana, Diana Ross. So I talked about her last episode. Never knew like love like this before. I'd never heard of Stephanie Mills. 
Master Blaster by Stevie Wonder. Oh, I can talk about Stevie Wonder for hours, but I'm saving Stevie Wonder for a specific episode itself. I want to do like artist spotlight and just like talk about artists and their discography and everything about it and how I connect to them, how they connect to me. And honestly, I do want to talk about that in in depth, but Stevie Wonder is just an amazing, amazing artist. One of my favorite artists. And I have, oh, I can tell a little story. <laughs> so I'm at Goodwill, like searching for vinyls. And I found Stevie Wonder's, oh my gosh, it's like right in front of my face. Um, oh my gosh, I can't think of the album. Oh, I'm going to kick myself for that. Mm, it's the last finale. I I know, I know that's not the name of the album, but it's it's somewhere near it. And I'm really upset that I can't name it, but I found the lyric of it. Lyrics of it. Oh no 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 no! I'm wrong. It's not. It's not the finale. It's songs of the key of life. My apologies. I found the songs of the key of life lyric book. I thought that I was gonna find the vinyl, but I didn't. I found the sleeve. But the vinyl wasn't there. So, boo Goodwill. Boo Goodwill. I'm really pissed off about that. And I'm still pissed off about that. I will never not be pissed off about that. But we're going to move on a tangent. We're going to move on to the Pointer Sisters. The P- <laughs> Ski Whoa, what are they doing? The Porno Sisters? No way. <laughs> oh, man. That's it. That, okay. That was funny. I'm sorry. If it wasn't funny to you, I don't know. I don't know you're human. You're just listening to me talk. You're listening to me talk. But the Pointer Sisters were extremely instrumental in the house scene and in the disco scene as well. And I feel as though that I'm already like running on time and I need to go to the 1989 charts. So I will go... I'll talk about them more in depth in a house episode. Uh, ooh. Ooh, my lisp came in. You heard that. I sound like Mike Tyson. Oh, my gosh. Oh. You heard the lisp. The lisp was insane. Oh, my gosh. The next episode or an episode coming up in the future. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be talking about house sometime or another. But everybody knows about John Lennon. John Lennon was a part of the Beatles or the Mop Tops. And John Lennon broke up because John Lennon and um, the Beatles broke up. Ringo Starr and, oh, I can't think of the rest of the Beatles name. Paul McCartney. I, I, I really can't. They're not my era. And honestly, when they broke up, when they broke up, it was like really a, um, a pivotal thing. A lot of A lot of people cried because of the Beatles breaking up. And the reason why a lot of people say it was because John Lennon and Yoko Ono specifically. And I feel as though that that's a great episode idea. Talking about like the top 10 like biggest artists of all time. Like make a bracket. If you guys are interested in making a bracket of like the top 10 most influential artists, artists, artists of all time, please let me know. I will be really interested in that as well. And I'll help do whatever. It's fans related. So now we're going to the top of the charts 
for 1989. So we're skipping nine years into the future, nine years of amazing hits and amazing, amazing time. And also a bad time. But we're going to focus on the good parts of it. So for the top 100, top 100 charts from 1989, we have Right Here Waiting by Richard Marks on our own from the Ghostbusters 2 soundtrack, Bobby Brown. Oh, can we talk about that song for a second? Too hot to handle, too cold to hold. They call Ghostbusters because we in control. Got a boring party for a bunch of children. All the while, the song was in the building. So we packed up, equipped, got a kink. Oh my gosh, that song just goes so crazy. I'm going to play it for the, for the intro for the next episode because that song is so great. I don't even care what the topic is about. If we're, we might be talking about something extremely sad next episode, but I'm going to play On Our Own by Bobby Brown. That's what we're going to do. We're doing that. Okay. So number three on the top 100 charts is Cold Hearted by Paul Abdul. Number four is Don't Want to Lose You by Gloria Estefan. Number five is Once, Twice, But Shy by Great White. Number six is Hanging Tough by New Kids on the Block. Number seven is I Like It by Dino. Number eight is Bat Dance by from, by Prince from the, the 1989 Batman movie soundtrack. And number nine is Secret Rendezvous by Karen White. And number 10 is So Alive by Lovers by Love and Rockets. Now, I already talked about On Our Own. I'm not going to talk about it anymore because I feel like I can go on a tangent with that. Number six, Hanging Tough. That's a really great song. I really did like New Kids on the Block. For a while, I listened to their music. And I have to say that, like, the boy band, that boy band phase. Oh, that's another episode topic we can talk about. Boy band phase. I feel, okay, Rally Call to, like, the three listeners that I hopefully will get <laughs> with this podcast. Me, including two other friends. This is a roll call. If you want me to, like, talk about the evolution of boy bands, top 10 most influential artists of all time, um, Robert's top 10 favorite songs or favorite albums. Oh my gosh, I'm doing that X episode. Top 10 albums. Why did I think about that in the first place? Oh, oh, that's... (laughs) That would have been a good idea. But we're gonna we're gonna continue. But Hanging in Tough was a great was a great song. Bad Dance by Prince. I have to say, that Batman's uh nineteen eighty nine soundtrack has to be one of the best like superhero soundtracks of all time. Has to be. Because it's cultivated by the legendary Prince. And he's going to be one of the first people I talk about in Artist Spotlight. Because he has to be. Prince is so influential. I'm going to drop a fat fact for y'all right quick. The fattest of facts. Did you know that Prince, Roger Nelson, dropped 52 albums in a span of 30 years? 52. 52 albums. That's an amazing. That's amazing. Who else do you know dropped 52 albums? And not only that, I have to say about at least 15 of those albums are the best albums of all time. 
Purple Rain is one of the most influential albums of all time. But the saddest thing about it is is that you cannot sample Prince's music. Which sucks because I feel as though that people can do a lot of work with Prince's music because of the fact that it's so great. But that's Batman, Bat, Bat Dance. Everything else from this top 10 is kind of hit or miss. Gloria Esteban and Paula Abdul, they're not hit. They're not miss. Paula, Paula Abdul and Gloria Esteban, top 10 women from 80s, 90s, and now. My top 10 favorite women artists. That's a podcast idea. We're coming along with stuff as we go, ladies and germs. We, wow. Okay. Um. So now we're going back to the um the topic idea that I was gonna talk about. MTV. MTV debuted in debut oh my gosh. Debuted in nineteen eighty one providing twenty four hours of music videos hosted by v- VJs, video jockeys, not DJs, not disc jockeys. Completely two different two different things. Really two big different things. And the more yellow yellow <laughs> mellow VH1 arrived a few years later in 1985. Ooh, bars. The more me- the more mellow VH1 d- arrived a few years in 1985. Ooh. <laughs> Videos complete completely changed the music landscape, becoming a sample of sonic entertainment and multi music ma- marketing. But there can be no doubt the decade of the 80s was the golden age of music videos. I have to say that it is very true. And the one music video that I want to talk about in particular, in particular itself, is Billie Jean by Michael Jackson. The reason why I want to talk about that, because there's an enormous story behind it, which I feel like that we need to touch if we're talking about 80s in general. So... Strap back, not strap back, strap in, buckle up, because we only do DeLoreans on this podcast. You have to get used to it now. You're in a DeLorean, strap in, close the door, 85 miles per hour, we're in here. Back to 1980, hmm, I have to say, ooh, ooh, hold on, technical difficulties. And, uh, and we're back. Michael Jackson's Billie Jean was released in 1982. And won, uh, actually had a nomination for for um, Grammy Award for the Song of the Year, American Music Award for Favorite Pop and Rock Song, American Music Award for Favorite Soul and R&B so- uh, Album. Actually, it's album. No, song. I am wrong. I'm sorry. Bars. We straight freestyling on this episode. Oh my gosh. Somebody passed me a mic because I am spitting. <laughs> okay. So we have Grammy Award for the Song of the Year, American Mar- America Music Award, an AMA for Favorite Pop and Rock, an AMA for Favorite R&B and Soul, a Grammy Award for Best R&B Instrumental Percussion or, yeah, Percussion, Percussionary or group itself which was really impressive because I have to say the Thriller album is one of my top 10 favorite albums of all time it um had one of the best like best like 
musicians on there. Michael Jackson, Eddie Van Halen was he did the guitar riff for um Beat It and the legendary Quincy Jones who helped do instrumentals and helped um oh what's the name for it? I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Um he helped like choreate the whole thing, you know? I don't think is choreate a, a word? Or he basically got together instruments and basically pieced together the entire thing. And we got an AMA, another AMA for favorite R&B soul, probably for album. So, the music video. The music video was inspired... Oh, man. I had it right in my head and I lost it. But it was inspired by another music video that we saw on MTV. Which was, I mean, so many MTV videos that we're going to talk about in general. But we're going to talk about this one first. Overall, it particularly talked, it basically was like this kind of homage to like old, older films. And it was kind of like spooky, not spooky, but like kind of like eerie. You didn't know exactly what he was doing, but the music video told a tale of what exactly was going on. But with a little backstory with the music video, black people weren't allowed on MTV, like at all, during the eighties. And a lot of artists, a lot of artists, I keep saying that, a lot of artists would kind of talk about it. The most vocal was Rick James. Rick James was pretty upset that black artists wouldn't be played on MTV or unless it was like really late at night because of the fact that they believed that our music videos were kind of weird and not weird, but like were like smut, bad. They were garbage. They, they that's what they thought about our music videos, and honestly, they didn't want them to be played. And a lot of artists caught on to that because they realized that the key demographic for MTV was teenage white boys, so they would play hair metal. Like Twisted Sister, um, Motley Crue, or they'll play New Kids on the Block or Phil Collins music video or Hall and Oates music video, and it'll like switch around from those three, and then at night it would just do like like a mixture between black black uh, musicians videos, or they would try to do a mixture between those same things because it was always a key demographic that they always tried to push for. So people started to get along, get around to it and started to realize that that was the case. And Billie Jean's music video came out. And the, the CEO for CBS called MTV and was like, hey, if you don't play this music video, we're going to cut MTV off air. Like, completely. You're done. And... Michael Jackson's Billie Jean was the first ever black black music video on MTV period, which was extremely impressive. And he basically set the wave for new new art new black artists to be on MTV. And I feel as though that that's really extremely extremely cultivating. That's why I I think that was really important to talk about MTV. And honestly, MTV was really impactful when it came to music. 
because that really brought music into the main stage. Music was always a part of like America and in the world in general, but music got got to like a new heights when you can like visualize it instead of hearing it. Because before that, everybody was just like, "Oh, this is a great song," but now you get to see what else is going on. Like "Take on Me" by Aha. You're basically like vibing to an amazing song, but also you're seeing like a really, like, really drawn out and well thought out music video, of them being in, in like a, a, a. It was a lot to explain in that music video, but like the girl literally kissed a drawing, and everybody was like, "Yes, this is amazing!" Clap up for like one of the best music videos of all time. Personally, I have to say my favorite music video of all time has to be, ooh, that's kind of hard. Oh, Message in a Bottle by Police. And the reason why I say Message in a Bottle by Police is my favorite uh, music video of all time is because one, Message in a Bottle is one of my favorite songs of all time. So I'm biased, of course. And two, message in a bottle that the the music video was a little bit more stripped back and they focused on their concerts and like they they would be inside this room and basically they were just singing the song my favorite part was when they they were on it like the drummer of uh the police was on had uh didn't have drums and he basically played the 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 drums parts like they the hi-hats on a chair and I thought that was so cool, which made it one of my favorite um, music videos of all time. And I feel as, I feel like if we had like a VOD version of this podcast, I would go through and react to like my top 10 favorite music videos. I honestly feel like I would do that. Oh man, it'd be like Theater, theater 3000. Oh, I would love to do that. Oh man, I have to do that now. I have to do it now. Okay, so, yeah, we talked about MTV, and, um, that's pretty much, like, music-wise, it was amazing. I have to talk about one thing, though. One thing that I really thought was important to me, which is really important to me, is the rocking wrestling era of music. So... We had the MTV going around. MTV was an, a big thing during 1981. Now, around 1984, we had Cindy Lauper. Cindy Lauper is one of the biggest. No, not 1984, 1985. Reason why I'm talking about 1985 is because Cindy Lauper just got big and the Goonies just came out. So, somehow, it's this wrestler, well, manager. His name is Captain Lou Albino. This man is crazy as cat litter, but but he somehow got really got really well and got became friends with Cindy Lauper, and Cindy Lauper was like, "Hey, Captain Lou, you want to be my father in um the Goonies music video?" And that's how that's how Captain Lou Albano became friends with Cindy Lauper, and Vince McMahon, the CEO or the founder. Not Vince, not Vince McMahon Sr., Vince McMahon Jr. was like, hey, Captain Lou Albino, can you come to our show, which was WWF at the time? 
World Wrestling Federation. He said, can you please come and bring Cindy Lauper as well? We can be in touch. And and they basically was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. And they created the Rock and Roll, Rock and Wrestling Connection. And that basically blew up wrestling. Because you had, like, wrestlers like Hulk Hogan. Ugh, I don't want to talk about him. But, like... <laughs> Like wrestlers like Hulk Hogan and WWF was basically getting popular. It was like the golden age of wrestling at that time. And then with Cindy Lauper, she basically saved the company almost because the company was almost at kaput because of the fact that WrestleMania One kind of like drowned all their money away. But that's a tangent. That I want, not a tangent, but that was a topic that I wanted to press on. Um. What's another topic that I wanted to talk about? Whew. There's a lot of things in the 80s that, like, happened. Oh! I want to talk about the story of, um... I feel like I have to, like... Let's do a little bit more, um... We're going to do some more... We're going to talk about the origins of, like, those open drums... Oh my gosh, I can't wait for you guys to, like, I want to talk about this so bad. And the reason why I wanted to talk about this, because of this song in general. If you listen closely, I want you to listen to the drums in particular. So, the reason why I wanted to talk about that is because... The drums in particular with inside the 80s, like they, like it was always that, like that 80s sound with the drums, the hi-hats, the kicks. So apparently what happened, Phil Collins was in a band called the Genesis, which was an 80s band, was an 80s band, and they were from London, and one time they were at the studio, and basically one of the mics fell at the, um at the drums and they were like playing the drums and it made those infamous drum sounds and once that happened they realized something extraordinary so that was on that was like how they kind of cultivated and made the sound of the 80s Phil Collins and his band and a lot of people don't pay attention to it because that like impacted music and the reason why people don't really like talk about it as much is because of the fact that I'll say like a few years after like that sound was cultivated, we had like the beatmakers, like the 909s, the 808s, and they would have drums and hi-hats and they had drum machines. So they didn't really need that like handmade drum sound when they just can press a button and they had that drum sound and that's how that 80s sound came off. But people don't give recognition to Phil Collins and I feel like people should, which is great. But um, I'm running out of time. So I will let Phil Collins play us out and I probably will do an 80s part two. Because I feel like I didn't get to press on anything. But I want to try to make this play, this podcast 30, 30 to 30, 38 minutes long. So I don't like talk for an hour. And I'm basically talking about nothing. 
So I want to talk about all the best ideas that I have right now until I can expand. But overall, if you got to the 35 minutes of the play, the uh, podcast, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy you. And hopefully that we can continue this. Other than that, I'm Tob, and this has been the Lame Tob Podcast. I'm going to sing it a little bit. Sing on me. You won't catch me cry because I just can't wait. Don't care anymore. I don't care anymore. Yeah. I don't care what you say. I don't play by the same boots. Anyway. All right, you guys. Have a good time. (laughs)